0: And thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts, sorry, Romans. Wrong book of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, Romans 8. Uh, if you've never been to the, the book of Romans, uh, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, or just go to the table of contents. That's just the easier way to do it. Um, Just a couple things. Uh, If you've never joined us on Wednesday night for what we've been doing through this series, uh, the series was inspired by a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, We've had some people that have not come out on Wednesdays, but they've been reading the book and just have been talking about how God has been transforming their lives in the book itself. Uh, My hope is it will create a new paradigm of discipleship for us here at K-First. But uh, Wednesday night, uh, we... We were supposed to hit a different topic and talk about the, the measure of maturity that we preached last week. We got talking about something else and just had a move of God and uh, just believe that God just started some healing in people's hearts on, on Wednesday night. It was just a powerful time, absolutely wonderful time. And also, uh, thank you for those that started signing up uh, for serving in the shift that we're bringing to our next generation ministry. Last week we announced that uh, Pastor Kevin is going to be transitioning out of kids' ministry into spiritual formations to oversee discipleship for K First. And I think Pastor Kevin uh, will do a phenomenal, phenomenal job with that. And Pastor Carissa is going to be overseeing Next Gen, and so we're developing teams. We're developing servants um, from greeting and getting people registered because we've had people say, well, I, I can't teach. I'm not, this is not my fit, but I can, I can help people register their kids. I can help greet children. And so if you are interested in being a part of those teams, we had a handful sign up last week. We want to keep uh, this going and keep that momentum, so you just use that QR code on the back of the seats. You can just scan it with your hand camera, you can sign up. Or if you're old school flip phone, um, it's not going to help you with that. So afterwards, go out into the lobby. We've got a iPad there where you can sign up. We just want to make sure everyone is available. I was getting messages from people watching online last week saying, how can I sign up from here? Uh, so that excites my heart. That means that we've got a heart for the next generation. Um, let me ask you this question. What statements Or sayings do you use that your parents used? If you don't know, ask your spouse right now. Ask them, what statements do you use that your parents used? Like the classic Hal beringer that's my father. The classic Hal Beringer is, it is what it is. When I'm on the phone with my dad, or unfortunately, if you follow him on Facebook, I apologize already... He goes through my friends list, and he friends people that I'm friends with that he doesn't even know. Yes, it is creepy. You're thinking it? I think it. I've already told him, Dad, that, that, that's creepy. Um, but he says it all the time, and I think I have picked it up. It is what it is. The one thing I have not picked up is my dad in the middle of a movie. Now, you've got to picture it. You're in the middle of even a theater. And when something, I mean, it could be sci-fi, it's James Bond, you know, all those Christian movies. Uh, it could be anything like Mission Impossible, another great gospel movie. And if something takes place that is just not humanly possible, my dad just says out loud, I'm sure. <laughs> dad, it's James Bond. Dad, it's Captain Jack Sparrow. Dad, is this, ju- this stuff just happens. This is movie. He goes, yeah, but that's not real. I'm like, I'm not watching for reality. I'm watching for blessing. Oh, what did you get from your parents? I know what I got from my parents. I got my height. In fact, let me before y'all laugh at me, I am literally because my dad has shrunk over the over the past 70 years a little bit, and I now have passed him up. I am the tallest behringer. Isn't that amazing? I didn't think I'd get a hand clap. That's pretty awesome. My one grandfather was five foot one, the other one was five foot three. I did well. my five-foot-three grandfather, he has a total of 16 siblings, 14 boys and two girls. I know. It got cold in Canada, apparently. <laughs> so the last two were twins. Bump and Skipper are the only twins. Yes, that's their names, Bump and Skip. Um, yeah, we've got like traits that get handed down. So my height uh, I did not get much handed to me. then you look at me and my wife, and actually, actually, we're celebrating 24 years tomorrow. that's cool. 20, 40 years of putting up with my shenanigans, I'm sure. Um, you know, our kids didn't get a lot of hope with our height. But the question comes up often, what did we pull from our parents? What did we pull from the grandparents? What are some of the traits and some things that have lingered in us? And that's a question that's at hand today that we're going to have a conversation about as we talk about breaking the power of the past. We've got this amazing book. If you've never read the book of Romans, the book of Romans I describe as a theological reservoir. You can plumb the depths of the book of Romans and never exhaust the amount of theological conversation and depth that comes from understanding a Christ-centered and a Christ-filled life. Uh, If you've ever wanted a book of the Bible to argue about, this is your book. I've watched Arminians and Calvinists argue about this. I've watched Pentecostals and Baptists argue about this. I've watched people dive into Romans because there's so much good good stuff here. And so here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry abba father let me let me just pause for a second there because there's so much richness in here that we get this amazing theological word and the word is adoption do you know that adoption did not begin with the world it began with the church if you didn't realize that, I mean, it came, back in ancient Rome, kids, when they weren't wanted, when they weren't desired, Romans would actually take their children and just lay the children during, at the side of a river, hoping an alligator will come, or a crocodile will come, and take care of the child. Or they would just abandon the child if they didn't want the child. And all of a sudden, when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, Christians were seeing this happen, and so Christians would wait near the riverside, waiting, seeing if anybody would abandon a child because they believed that every child deserved to live. Every child deserved a parent. And after a while, all of a sudden, rumors started up about the church because they remembered the words of Jesus that talked about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and they all of a sudden saw that Christians were snatching up these children. They're like, "The, the Christians are eating the kids. For real, do your history. They thought Christians were eating children. Not realizing that, that Christians, knowing the love of Jesus, couldn't just stand to watch a child to live without a parent. Did you know that we have about 11,000 orphans in the state of Michigan? 11,000. Do you wanna know how many churches there are in Michigan? 11,000. This is the reason why the, the state of Michigan has come, they literally have come to the church community and they've asked us for our help. And Kay, first, let me tell you this. Over the past five years, six years of us bringing a foster care focus, this church has been responsible. I was counting out for minimally 15 children that have gone into foster care and or into full-blown adoption. Why are we doing this? This is the heart of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been volunteering to be a part of things. Ann and I are respite care workers because we want to help. We want to watch kids so the parents can go out and have date nights because foster parents can't just get anybody to watch their kids. If you want to be involved, we would love to hook you up and help you to get involved in foster care adoption ministry. Or if you're even looking to foster care adopt kids, we would love to connect you. So we get this amazing word. And it says that you've received the spirit of adoption for whom we cried the words, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, is a very intimate word. That word means, and the most maybe basic way to say it is the word, Daddy. If you've ever heard someone say, Abba, or pray to Abba, um, I, I'll be honest. I get creeped out when people say, oh, Daddy, God, we call out to you. That creeps me out a little bit, I'll be honest. But Abba, Father is this intimate, intimate word that cries out that says, God, I look at you as more than an authority figure in my life. There is a closeness. And what Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he's saying, listen, you have more than just a father that has a position over you. You have a daddy. You have somebody that you can lean into, somebody that will care for you, somebody that will not abandon you by the river, waiting for some enemy to devour your life. You are adopted and brought into a family. You were once in darkness, and you're now part of God's family. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. I love this. It's like, listen, you don't just get adopted. This is the beautiful thing about the family of God is you're, not, you're more than just kind of brought into a family. You are made like everybody else. That's what I love about adoption I've watched families adopt. Some of you here, you've adopted children. And you don't look at that child any differently than a blood child. Why? Because they're yours. And you're them. You belong to each other. And what Paul is saying, listen, is when you give your life to Christ, you are adopted into a family. And not just adopted, you become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You are not a secondary citizen. You are a child of God. It's beautiful. And one of the core disciplines of discipleship is understanding our family. Now, when we talk about discipleship, every single one of us in the room are disciples of something. Every one of you, you're disciples of something. Yes, I am a disciple of NFL and college football because that's what Jesus is. But most importantly, I'm a disciple of Christ. But every single one of us are disciples of something. Some of us are disciples of news networks. Some of us are disciples of social media. Some of us are disciples of other people's opinions. But God has called us into his place of being discipled after him. And following Jesus means that we ought to be growing, become more like him, to step into an intimate relationship with him and to be made like him. And so when we come to Christ, we are adopted into a new family. I am thankful for the family of God. And what I love about the family of God is, K-First, you are my K-First family, but the kingdom of God doesn't stop with you. I'm so thankful for pastors around the state that are part of the kingdom of God. They're part of the family of God. I'm thankful for pastors and congregational members that go around the city that I see that we hug and that just encourage and just strengthen. Where We strengthen each other and we are part of the family of God. I love having family. This is why old school church, we used to call each other brother and sister. How many of you grew up in a church where you just called everybody brother and sister? Anybody? That's a lot of us here. Some of you are like, "Why would we do that?" Well, I went to school down south. That's, that's where I went to Bible college. And the beautiful thing about calling each other brothers sisters: number one, it helps you to see that we're part of God's family. Number two, you don't have to memorize the name for the rest of your life. It's awesome. Donna, Missouri. What's up, brother? What's up, sisters? Brother, I love seeing you. I'm like, brother, I love seeing you. You walk away like I haven't a clue who this guy is, but we like each other an awful lot. Up here in Michigan, we've we got to learn names, and so I'm going to butcher names. That's what I do. But we come into this family, and we're adopted. We are part of one another. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Let me say this in the kingdom of God. I'm thankful for not just brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful for spiritual moms and spiritual dads in my life. Boomers, Gen Xers, your involvement in K-First is paramount. Why should you be involved? Because we've got younger generations. They need spiritual moms. They need spiritual dads, spiritual aunts, spiritual uncles. Some of you think, well, the younger generations, they don't want connection. You know what? They actually want relationship more than you realize. And your involvement is paramount. Be a greeter. Join the team. Get involved in next gen. Do something because we need to be the body. For us to be the body, we've got to be together. It's important. But when we come together... We, we recognize that, yes, we're part of a family, but we also re- realize that what we bring into this family is the rest of our family. It's what I love talking to premarital counseling appointments about. I love the fact that I tell them that when you get married, you, the first couple years, what you begin to learn more so, more so every single day is how much of your past and your family you actually bring with you. You bring with you. We're all a result of parenting, or lack thereof, we're all the result of a number of situations. For example, we are nature and nurture. The nature of Dave Barringer is Helen Linda Barringer. I was also nurtured by Helen Linda Barringer. My wife was natured Tom and Dorothy, Kara, but she was raised by Bill and Dorothy Burr. And so we all carry that nature and that nurture into us, and it helps us to understand that we've got a background. Now let me make a statement this morning. That when we talk about our family backgrounds, our family history, that's not for us to place blame. Can we just get that out here? We love having our blame culture, don't we? Please don't amen that. We have a major blame culture where we just love to blame somebody else for it. We love to point the finger at somebody else. But here, we're not here to place blame on our parents or on our grandparents or even on ourselves. Because in the house, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. None of you did it completely Right? Ann and I, I remember when Cammie turned 18, we were on a walk. I can tell you where we were on our walk, where I went to a panic. Did I do enough? And all of a sudden, I started doubting everything. Did I do enough? Enough daddy-daughter dates? Did I point her in the right direction? Did I do things right? we, We all have those moments, so we're not here to place blame, but we are here to take ownership. Because we can look at things in our lives, and we can just point the blame. But we've got too many people pointing fingers, and not enough people saying, listen... I see what has been passed down to me, but I draw the line in the name of Jesus and say from this point on, it goes no further. It goes no further. Some of us need to stop living like casualties and start living as conquerors. Yes, you got handed... Uh, a hand that you were dealt. Yes, you got given something that you did not ask for. Yes, some traits were were passed down that you didn't expect would even rise up in your hand. But understand this, that we can live as conquerors or we can live as just simple casualties of what has been. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, we might have Jesus in our hearts, but we have grandpa in our bones. Because the scripture says that we've we've, we've been made brand new But we're dealing with the, we're talking about the inside because as we are being made brand new, we're still dealing with the family that is inside of our bones. And I want to make a statement that realizing your God-given potential often means you have to confront your human past. When you begin to see what God can do in you and through you, many times, if not most of the time, we have to deal with our human past. We've got to dive in and begin to figure out, why am I the way that I am? I've had people say, I don't like going back. All that's doing is drumming up the past. But some of us have actually never dealt with our past. And so it's not about drumming it up. It's identifying, where did I come from? What am I dealing with? What am I going through? And what do I want to bring forward with me? You see, when we look at the Old Testament... What I love about the Old Testament, if you, I've had people say, I just stick to the New Testament. Then you need to get into the Old Testament. Because why does it matter? Because the Old Testament mattered to Jesus. When you read Jesus, when you read the words of Jesus, Jesus referred to the Old Testament. That's what, if, if you need any more reason, it's because it mattered to Jesus. And when it came to the Old Testament, the Old Testament idea of family was never about the immediate family. It was, for example, it was never about Dave, Ann, Ethan, Cami and Josh and Claire. It wasn't just about our immediate family. It was about Dave and Anne, Helen and Linda, Bill and Dorothy, Paul and Golda, Bud and Doris, and I don't know all the grandparents on that side. I only know of Anne, Anne's great-grandmother, because that's the only one that I was able to meet. But it's about generations. And that's why when you read like the book of, say, Joshua, that it says, Joshua, son of none. That was a Bible college joke. Who's the only person in the Bible that had no father? It was Joshua. He was the son of none. Lame, isn't it? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Jesus was referred to, oh, he is just... A carpenter's son. Is it that Mary's child? You were never looked at as just yourself or your immediate family. It was always generations. And that's why when we read into the Old Testament, we read the most famous generational family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see the three levels of, that were there. And we realize that when it comes to our family of origin, that who we are today is made up by who our family has been in yester years. Because when we look at our families of origin and or where we come from, it's from our family of origin that we receive our views of race, politics, work, leisure, vacations. I deal, with, I deal with newly married couples all the time where they talk about vacations and all of a sudden they realize that in one family when you went, went on vacation, you had this organized list of everything that you needed to accomplish on vacation. And the other person, they grew up in the family for which they put a chair next to a beach and they never moved from that for seven days. That is torturous to me right there. The other side, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the purgatory between the two. Give me a little bit of activity, a little bit of sitting. But I watch people. How did they get that idea? It's from their family of origin. And we look at different families of origin and we realize that families tend to pass things on to their children. Now, I'm not here going to talk about generational curses. I'll be honest. I get very annoyed when we talk about generational curses because, number one, and it's not very biblical. And number two, it seems like that's all we do is talk about the curses. We don't talk about generational blessings. Is there brokenness handed down through our family lineage? Absolutely. But let's be real, there's also blessing. And that's why it's good to look back and to understand our past And we see that if we don't correct our past, it's an old adage, uh, we are doomed to repeat it over and over and over. And one of the classic examples is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you studied their family, you would see a pattern of lying. Abraham started off lying about his wife. He was scared. He says, nope, she's my sister. And then somebody else tried to marry her. How many of you wives would respond in a very nice way to your husbands if all of a sudden someone questioned who you were and you were your husband's sister and somebody wanted to marry you. If you want to talk about awkward, I love scripture. It creates these awkward human moments. And so you got patterns of lying that were passed all the way down, pa- par- parental favoritism passed all the way down, dysfunctional siblings from Abraham dysfunctional siblings all the way down to Jacob. It got so bad that the sibling dysfunction in Jacob's day was that 10 brothers gained up on one brother, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and then held a funeral for dad so that he can mourn the loss of his son, not realizing that one day this guy, the son that they sold off would lead the entire nation and have his life in their hands. What about poor intimacy in marriage? You look at those three. This literally got handed down generation to generation. And so this is one thing that I want to say, is these individuals, these were the fathers of our faith. That's what we call them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these are the fathers of faith. These were heroes of faith. And yet they themselves dealt with things that were passed down from generation to generation. And so I'm going to make two statements about that before we talk about breaking the power of the past. Is number one, we must recognize that our family passed is not held against us. You are not going to stand in heaven and God's going to say, you live the great life you follow in me, but your dad, but your grandfather, your past, your family past is not going to be held against you. I've got things in my past. My dad and I talk frequently about our family history and we've done a lot more in the past couple years. And I'm here to say, listen, four generations ago, my, my great-great-grandparents were witches. Thank God that's not going to be held against me when I stand before God. On my mom's side, I've got patterns of adultery. I've got patterns of, of drug, uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction. That's on that side. In fact, on both sides, I've got, I've got unfaithfulness to spouses on both sides. And I'm here to say that you don't have that which is handed down held against you per se. But we have to recognize, secondly, how much our, fa- our past affects our present life. And so I want to give you three ways to break from your past. So if you're a note taker, write some of these things down. It's number one, acknowledge the influence of the blessings and the brokenness of your family. Acknowledge both the blessings and the brokenness of your family. Look at the people of Scripture. Because you can see things where people were blessed with what they were handed with and at the same time you look in the fact and you realize, wow, they're not just handed blessing. We were handed brokenness. And you can't face the future correctly without understanding the past accurately. This is why dad and I talk frequently about family. In fact, just the other day, it was on Tuesday, he made me late for a meeting. We got in a conversation and I asked him, I said, dad, who in our family is angry? Because that's, I have dealt with that a chunk of my life. It wasn't until I got to Bible college where God had to do a deliverance in my life to help me with my anger issues. And he says, well, that was your grandfather. I'm like, grandpa, Berenger wasn't angry. He says, but he says, things have begun to come out where he realized that he was physically abusive to my uncle in the teenage years. And that got passed down from my great-grandmother, Hazel. Angry, impulsive, bitter. And we've looked through the family line and we've seen bitterness hit every single generation. And I will tell you this, nobody knows how to hold a grudge like the Beringers can. We are awesome at it. But we look at that and we realize that we can't face the future correctly without looking at the past accurately. And so the two things I would ask you is look at your family and ask the question, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? What are the things in your family that you're thankful for? I am thankful for parents who handed me a work ethic. If you want to really insult a Barringer, I'm just going to tell you, call us lazy. We will go to levels of anger. There's the anger issue right there. We'll go to levels because we want to, we, we want to work. We want to work hard. We're blue-collar by nature. We will do whatever it takes to get a job done. Um, I'm thankful my parents handed down a level of generosity that I've never seen in another human being. My parents, they, they taught me how to tithe. They taught me how to give the missions. And they taught me to look for people that had need. And if they had need and you had something, then dang it, you can help step up and bless somebody else's life. I, they have handed me a love for Jesus. Uh, there are times, I remember just watching mom and dad, listen, when your kids are in here and they're worshiping alongside of you, make sure that that's exactly what's taking place. They are worshiping alongside of you. See, I grew up loving worship because I watched mom and dad love Worship. I grew, grew, my parents handed me a prayer life. Whenever, I remember being sick, I got walking pneumonia. I just, for some reason, I remember that moment where I got diagnosed and when we got home, my dad sat me on his knee and he took his Bible and he put it upon my chest and he just began to speak in tongues over my life and just began to pray healing over my life. And I remember that moment, that moment marked me and I've never forgotten about that. So when it comes to our family, we have to acknowledge the influences that are there, that are good, that were the blessing, but also at the same time recognize that which also comes with that is sometimes the brokenness that's there pastor you're trying to drum up anything no i'm trying to get us to be real with what we have been dealt and real with the brokenness that we are navigating because if we ignore it it doesn't make the broken things mend it's like breaking your finger and, and trying to pretend that the finger never broke that if i just acknowledge it that means the fingers really broke i'm just going to tell you the fingers really broke But we have to take it in and face the future correctly by understanding the past. What are we dealing with? But secondly, if you want freedom, recognize that you have been born into a new family. Recognize that you were born into a new family. Have you ever stayed in somebody else's home before overnight? Have you ever had that experience where you realize that they don't live in the same rules that you live? They don't keep up things the way that you keep things. Or they keep things up at a different level for which you don't keep them up. Have you ever felt the tension of living in someone else's place not knowing what you can do? Can I go check the fridge? I'm thirsty. Is it okay if I go grab a glass of water? Um, like, I remember the first time, the first friend I ever met when my parents took their first uh, pastoral position, his name was Tim, and we went over his house, and now I grew up, we, we didn't eat around the dinner table. We never ate at the dinner table. We ate at TV trays because that's how we watched football or TV. Uh, that we just we never ate around the table, ever. And so I remember Sunday afternoon going over Tim's house, and Tim came from this uh, staunch Italian family. So when it came to Sunday afternoon meals, it was always mustachiole, hallelujah. It was Italian sausage, there were meatballs, there was garlic bread. And I asked to go over Tim's house every single Sunday afternoon. <sighs> Man, nobody feeds you like a good Italian family. Goodness gracious. And so we would go there, and I remember that we would go, and we would have to change out of our Sunday clothes. Anybody remember changing out of your Sunday clothes? I didn't know what, I just went and played in whatever I was in. And uh, then you got to go wash your hands, and then you guys sat around the table, and I went to go, like, grab stuff, and all of a sudden we didn't realize we we're supposed to pray before you even grab food out of the trays whatsoever. Uh, and then we all went around the table, we talked about what we were thankful for. I'm like, man, the food is getting cold, what are we doing here? But you go to somebody's house, and you live by different rules. You almost have to relearn how to live. I love what this says in in verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons whom you cry, Abba, Father. It says that you were adopted into a new family. And one of the challenges of being adopted into the family of God is relearning how we are supposed to live. Some of us need to be reminded about how we're supposed to live in the kingdom of God. That just because the world lives away without God doesn't mean we repeat those things. Then we were called to be differently because we don't have that same Spirit. We've got the Spirit of God in our life, which means there ought to be a difference with the way that we act, we live, we respond, than the way the world does. Oh, Pastor Dave, do you know what they did? I, you've told me what they did, but we still have the same response. The response should be to model who Christ is. For the past 13 years, one of the, one of the most uh, common things that I've heard just over the years, every once in a while it comes up, Pastor Dave, could we get up a sign outside, right outside the front doors, that just says, no smoking near the entrance? For which I say, no. Never. They're like, well, why? I said, because it's going to tell people who's, who's not welcome here and who is welcome here. Well, Pastor Dave, I keep finding cigarette butts all over the church parking lot. I'm like, listen, I would rather find a, a, uh, a cigarette butt than a gossip letter, any day, any time, anywhere. Give me a place where the lost are welcome. Give me a place where the broken are welcome. Give me a place where the addicts are welcome. Give me the place where those who fake it are welcome. Give me a place where everybody can come and show up for that anybody that would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, pastor, what if this type, some of us have forgotten what we were saved from. Some of us have forgotten what our lives look like without Jesus. Or some of us have completely forgotten where we would be had Jesus not adopted us into his family. My, one of my prayers is that every single one of us would just remember what it was like to be saved. What was it like to raise my hand and to put my faith in Jesus? What was it like to open up the scriptures for the first time? What was it like when I realized that I was dead in my sin, but God loved me so much that he sent his only son that I would call upon him and I could be free. I could be set free. I could be forgiven. I could be made new. I could be, I could be given life. I could be given future. Some of us need to remember that all over again. We need to remember that we were brought into a new family. Brought in. Ezekiel chapter 36, I love this word. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleansedness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you need to be careful to obey my rules I love that Ezekiel speaking to Israel if you will return to God I'm going to give you a new heart a new nature a new spirit and you're going to be brought into a new family I love this the spirit of adoption in the midst of a a very orphan generation well pastor there's nothing about church people that are perfect I hear that from people all the time and my response is you're absolutely right this church is not for perfect people. None of us are getting it 100%, 100% right all of the time. There's nothing about this family is, that's perfect. Is your family perfect? This one isn't either. We got all sorts of issues. We're all trying to get over our past. We're all trying to love like Jesus, and we're all trying to model a way that models Christ Jesus in this world. And that leads me to number three. If you want to get broken from the bondages of the past, we need to put off the sinful patterns and learn how to do life in the new family of Jesus. Acknowledge the influences, recognizing that we're born into a new family and we put off sinful patterns and learn how to do life in the family of Jesus. Well, pastor, if this, is, this is just how I was born. We, we Beringers are just born this way. You know what? For years, I've used that example. And I think it's nothing more than an excuse for us not to have to change anything about our lives. But God has called us to a spirit of repentance that just simply says, we're ready to deal with what's in us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we said it before, that all things are made brand new. If anybody's in Christ, all things are brand new. But know this, that this scripture points toward not everything physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually altogether, but it signifies something spiritual has taken place in you that should have an effect that starts affecting everything outside of you. Because there are some things that within us need to go through change. Because if we ignore our history, not will it destroy you, but it will also destroy the family in front of you. And some of the most powerful things that we are needing to deal with in our salvation are the things inside of us. There are unwritten messages every single one of us have learned growing up. And let me give you a few. Because some of us have grown up in families of origin that have handed us messages that we have not just received, but we have continued to foster over and over. For example, our views of money that money is the best source of security. The more money you have, the more important that you are. Uh, Make lots of money to prove that you have made it. Some of you inherited your views of conflict. Either avoid conflict at all costs, don't get people mad at you, or be loud, angry, um, consistently fighting is normal. Can I just say, consistently fighting is not normal? Some of you need, need to remind your spouse, picking a fight for the sake of a fight doesn't show love. I do counseling. Let me know. Number three, sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Or men that can be promiscuous. Women must be chaste. We have have seen a culture that pardons men more than women when it comes to the idea of of sexual purity. And we've handed down through generations wrong ideas about sex. In fact, I'm going to preach on sex next month. We're doing our marriage series next month. You don't want to miss it. I love talking about sex. Incredibly awkward atmosphere, but it's going to be the best. My kids squirm throughout the entire message. What about messages of grief and loss? I've heard this before. Sadness is a sign of weakness, or you're not allowed to be depressed. Get over losses and quickly move on. We're not allowed to grieve. What about messages of anger? Anger is dangerous and it's bad. Explode explode in anger to make a point. Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. Can I just say this? In Galatians, we have a list of the fruit of the Spirit, and none of the fruits of the Spirit include the word sarcasm. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Just received that word this morning. What about your view of family? You owe your parents for what they've done for you. Don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Duty to family and culture comes before everything. And those are actually unhealthy views. What about relationships? Don't trust people. They will let you down. Don't ever let anybody hurt you. Don't show vulnerability. Their attitudes towards other cultures. Only be close with people who are like you. Don't marry a person of another race or culture. Certain cultures or races are not as good as ours. And let me say this for the millionth time. Any idea of racism or hint of racism is a diabolical attack against the image of God. There's no, there's no place for it in the kingdom. It is, it is next to witchcraft. It is demonic. And it's something that this church will never, ever stand for. What about success? Getting into the best schools is successful. Making a lot of money is successful. Getting married and or having children is successful. I get people calling me a year into marriage. It's not as happy as I thought it was going to be. This is a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm like, oh, did you not listen in premarital counseling? Are we doing it wrong because we're not alike each other? You are never alike each other. What about feelings or emotions? You're not allowed to have certain feelings. Or your feelings are not important. Reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. Do you guys see some things that maybe you're handed down from your family? From your culture of your family? from the lineage of your family that has has or still is affecting you today? What were some of the messages that were handed down from you by your parents and grandparents? And the problem is, is quite often is we can get what's been handed and then we utilize that as the crutch to give excuse for why we live and why we're not living the way Jesus has called us to live. I wrote it this way. Be careful not to use the pain of your past as an excuse to disobey God presently. You have painful past? I do. You have weird family? I can list off the 16 Canadian family members alone and have conversations. We can go down lists of things. You've got pain. I've got pain. But we cannot allow the pain of our past We can't allow the infidelities of things or the views of sexism or the views of racism or the hurt and the bitterness and whatever things that have lingered in our family background to be the excuse that says, well, I can't because of this. Jesus has come here to set us free and he wants to bring deliverance in your life. He wants to give you freedom. And so what I love about 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 18 is it doesn't say listen, grow in what you've been handed. It says this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. Man, we could sit and just perpetuate that which we were handed or we could choose to say, I know what I was handed. I love some of the things and I don't love some other things. But what I can do is this. Instead of perpetuating what I was handed, I can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me wrap up with two things. And so if my keyboardist can come up and help me, that that would be incredible is number one, get a great future out of your past. You want some turnaround. Get a great future out of your past. Get a great future. Look at the patterns that were beautiful and some of that which wasn't healthy. And I believe that we can look, that we can learn, that we can operate in such a way that gets a great future out of learning from our past. We can pull something. We can learn something. Nobody ever once told me this, but it's what I believe for years. Again, I come from two very blue-collar, hard-working parents. They came from generations of very, very hard-working people. I didn't realize until the other day that I was supposed to be a fourth-generation Ford auto care worker, and I broke that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great-grandpa, grandpa, dad, they all retired from Ford Motor Company. And I broke that. And now, okay, that was not a big deal. But it's, it's, it's hard work that got passed down. But what I also did is I took that out of my past. And I began to translate that, Begin to ask the question, well, if I need people to love me, if I need to be accepted, I have to work hard to make sure that they do that. Because I will never be fully accepted unless I work for that. And unfortunately, i not just translated that with people, but guess what I also translated that too. If I don't do enough for God, then God doesn't love me. If I don't do enough for God, God doesn't accept me. If I don't do, if I don't do, if I don't do. Nobody ever had to tell me that. But I inherited something. And what the enemy loves to do is everything that God calls blessing, he loves to manipulate and to use. Because in the very beginning of time, Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, chapter one, verse, uh, all the way through chapter 3, we see that God created. Do you know what God has the ability to do? To create. You know what the enemy can't do? He can't create. And so what does he do? He manipulates. I will take that hard work and I will try to manipulate so that you think that God won't love you or you won't be accepted because you didn't do enough and you didn't work hard enough. You didn't do enough to the duties. You didn't serve enough. And therefore you can't be loved unless you do enough. And when you live in the idea that I will never be enough, you find you're addicted to trying to be enough realizing that in Christ you were already enough. by, oh, wow, generations in my, my side, generations of intimacy, marriage junk. I look back and I, I remember asking, I'm like, Lord, why did you put marriage so deep in my heart? And the more I began to talk with my dad, I began to realize that God is beginning to shape something because for years of seeing just marriages break up after marriage break up in our family, all of a sudden, I think God wanted to start something different within Hal and Linda Berenger and begin to pass something down to David and Anne, which we were passed down to Cammie and Josh and then to Ethan. We're going to keep passing it down. Why? Because we want to let God continue to create instead of let the enemy say, listen, this is just who you are. And instead of creating anything, he'll begin to manipulate your life. This is what you are damned to be for the rest of your life. The power of the cross breaks the curse of sin. The power of Jesus breaks the curse. Stop allowing the enemy to try to manipulate your life. He can't create, so he manipulates. But allow God to create something out of the mess that has been there. How do we create a great future? Pull out the blessings. Pull the blessings. Man, the the old hymn that we used to sing eons ago, count your blessings, name them one by one. Some of y'all need to go home and begin to recount all the blessings of your family. Every blessing that's there. What did you learn great from your parents? What did you learn from your grandparents? What was the good stuff that was there? And when there's not good stuff, name and tame every negative pattern. You see a a pattern of alcohol? Name it and call it out in Jesus' name. If you say, no more. See, patterns of promiscuity, in the name of Jesus, no more for this family. This idea of, well, on our family, we just don't express love. Call that out in the name of Jesus. Say, no, we will be expressive of love. We will allow people to see who we are. We will allow people to be loved and to fully love the people around us. Come on, let's look at our past and begin to say, in the name of Jesus, what has cursed us from the past is no more. We will walk in the blessing of Jesus. And that's what, we, what we, will brand, that we will pour on to the people around us, to our spiritual sons and daughters and those that we interact with. We will pour out blessing. So get a great future out of your past. And secondly, break the power of the past in every area of your life. And what you've got to do is you've got to be willing to get real with God. Some of us are so good at being real with God about certain areas, but when it comes to our past and what we were handed, what we've dealt with, what we've lived with, some of the pain and some of the agony, listen, it's all about letting God into our lives and have every part of our lives. Some of us are good at saying, God, I'll let you have my heart, but you don't have to have my mind, my memories, the patterns. I wrote this simple question. What is keeping you from trusting God in the present that is attached to the past? What is keeping you from trusting God in the present that is attached to the past? And if you can answer that question, you now know what your next step in in Christ is. But this is going to be a place of healing. This church will be a a foundation, a a haven of healing for your life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And we're just going to have a time of just letting God have everything. Letting God search our hearts. Psalms 139. Lord, search our hearts. Not so that we can just drum it. I hope, hopefully you're, you're not getting annoyed too much by me saying that over and over. I'm not here to drum up past. I'm here to try to get these things healed in our lives so that we can move forward. Because some of us have ignored our past so, so much that we think we've made headway, not realizing we've been anchored to that thing that God has been trying to heal, for some of you, Generations. And it's time to draw a line and say, there's a new time. It's a new day. It's a new place. Would you buy your heads? I'm done yakking. Bow your heads with me.